This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. Today is January 11th, 2022. I'm Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from sunny, sunny Southern California. Finally warmed up and it's so nice here. I'm joined today by Kim Lantis, who's in Hermosillo, Mexico. Thanks for joining me today, Kim, for being Thank on you. the show. And, of course, our guest. Our guest is James Layfield, who's the CEO at ClearFind broadcasting from Miami, another beautiful place with nice temperature, I'm sure. Welcome to the show, James. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Nice to be here. Okay. So we uh, are going to be talking about too much software. It's kind of ironic that the guys mm -hmm. who build software <laughs> for a living are going to having a show to talk about you have too much software. Yeah, uh, yeah. But before, before we dive in and find out what that's all about, let's uh, get to know our guests a little bit. Uh, James, if you could introduce yourself, tell us about yourself, and then we'll uh, we'll ask you about ClearFind. But please, let's get to know you, if you don't mind spending a minute or two introducing yourself. Thanks for being with us. No worries. Thank you for having me. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm not originally from Miami. Uh, I'm originally from the UK. Um, I'm an entrepreneur who's dabbled in many different things, uh, from airport lounges and co-working to business development uh, and uh, fintech. Uh, so I'm a general partner at a VC in New York. We invest exclusively in fintech, uh, and I'm a founder of ClearFind, um, which is the company I want to chat with you guys about today. Excellent. All right. So what is ClearFind? Tell us what that's all about. Well, um, I, for the last eight or nine years, have worked with a big UK bank called Barclays. Um, and... Anyone who knows banks, which is not that many people, but if you know banks, banks basically have an enormous amount of investment in technology. I mean, some of them are spending multiple billions of dollars a year on technology. Um, and therefore, they have incredibly complicated software ecosystems. And so whilst working with them for the last 10 or so years, I was helping them find innovation and bring that into the bank from all over the world. Uh, my business partner worked for BBVA. Uh, again, in a similar role internally to BBVA, helping them improve their technology stack. Uh, and what we saw was there is an inherent challenge with the way that the world has worked to date. So unless you're bringing in an Accenture or you're bringing in a Deloitte, you're in a really bizarre position where you are hard pressed to fully understand what's going on in your software ecosystem. What does software actually do? Uh, and that's a question that people have been unable to answer without spending and basically stopping their job and trying to answer that question. Uh, and so we thought, what if we can replace consultants whoop, 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 and build an AI consultant using machine learning, using technology? Couldn't we create a software that could comprehend other softwares and in so doing, give you strategic advice in seconds that would take a consulting firm months and millions? And the answer is clear fine. Nice. You know, I 
spent the first 15 years of my career carving my teeth in banking with those big consulting companies. So exactly. we're curious to see what we can learn today that a they're lot. shaking in their boots about well, how is that going to put me out of a job? Let's find out what we can discover. Kim, if you could please uh, kick it off, introduce the topic, and let's see what the question is that we're going to be answering. Yeah. Thank you, Tulio. Thank you, James. So again, you have too much software. That's not a question. It's a statement. <laughs> Everyone and every company has way too much software. Why is it so hard to find it and confidently eliminate it? So based off of your description of clarifying, what I'm kind of understanding, James, uh, going to what's really big right now, including for myself, this idea of minimalizing. And what came to my mind was kitchen appliances, right? So right you've got like the juicer and the waffle iron and all these you know george foreman grill whatever these things that we maybe utilize once or twice a year and then you have your basics you've got like your coffee pot your toaster your immersion blender and your vmx or whatever microwave right so yeah. are basically what you're saying is get rid of you know the george foreman grill stick with the coffee pot and we're going to tell you exactly like that's the consultation that you're AI is doing essentially, but in terms of software, did I get that right? You're very close. But I think what's really interesting is it's almost a little bit more fundamental. And it's basically someone comes into the kitchen with the food they want for dinner and they're saying, I want to heat this food up. I could put it on the grill. I could put it in a George Foreman grill. I could put it in a microwave. I could put it in some hot water. I can boil it. I don't need to be able to heat it in seven different ways. I need one really good way to heat it. And we can say, you're right. You have seven ways to heat that food. We're going to make sure that you don't waste money on seven ways, but that you just have one really, really good way to do it. Uh, and so we're not only getting rid of the ancillary tools that they don't use very often, we're helping them see that they don't need seven different tools to do the same thing. Uh, and again, because it's so easy these days for someone with one of these things to buy any software online. It's, that reminds it's me, I need to cancel the subscription. I've been meaning to cancel the subscription for about two months. Now. Exactly. It's a nightmare because basically people in different departments are buying software. People are buying it on their credit cards. People don't understand all the features. And so in a larger, the larger the company, the higher the amount of software that they have that completely overlaps, that does the same exact thing or similar things. Uh, and so when you're talking about a company that spends, I don't know, a million dollars a year on software, they're probably wasting a couple of hundred thousand. And you can say, oh, does it really matter if you're a fast growth um, company and you're basically wasting a couple of hundred thousand a year? All we care about is our guys having the right tools. So don't worry about 200,000. It's nothing. We're going to be a billion dollar company. And that makes sense. But when you are a billion dollar company and then you're spending a hundred million a year on software, wasting 20 million every single year and having the additional security issues of having multiple tools and having the additional inefficiencies of having multiple ways of measuring the same metrics in your business, it becomes foolish to maintain all of these tools. The, the idea that having all of your team happy becomes an inefficiency in the face of the security risk, the additional cost, and more importantly, the inoperability of information. We've seen companies, multi-billion dollar companies with five BI tools, 
who all read the data differently. So different departments are responding to the same theoretical information differently, making different business decisions, different planning decisions. That can't happen when you have a proper business, a multi-billion dollar business. You can't. So this tool is here to help those companies. And they would otherwise have had to turn to your Accenture, um, who I'm sure are great, but they're slow and they're expensive. Um, we're quick and we are cost effective. Um, and we can do things that they just can't do um, because our system can comprehend, because it's a machine, the entirety of a client software ecosystem in a way that human, very few humans would be able to do. So there are many factors. So we want to get you down to your essential tools that are going to deliver efficiently for you and reduce your security risk and reduce your costs. And these companies aren't looking to save money, by the way. They are looking to redeploy it in the best possible tools. And that's mm. where we're really going to help. Okay. So rather right. than going so, in a mile wide and an inch deep, we're narrowing it. In. Well, yeah. let's just unpack this a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we get, how do those companies get there to begin with? So we understand, give the people the tools they need, a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom. People sign up for stuff. They forgot that they sign up for stuff. They change departments. They leave companies. Some of these are on auto renewal. You're paying for things you don't even use. And in some cases, you're paying for things where everybody's using it, but using five different tools. Yes. And the consultants will go in and they do an inventory. They take in a huge inventory of all these things. They do a lot of interviews. It's a lot of work to get to understand what's being utilized. How does the AI platform do that? How so do you really actually cool go and discover? All, do you have some way of discovering all the technologies out there? What's the way that you do So that? in terms of discovery, there are some amazing tools in the market for discovery. So you've got people like Flexera, who are like a thousand years old in the world of technology, who do discovery brilliantly. You've got people like Snow, who are a little bit more modern. And then you've got all these recently backed VC companies like Blissfully and Xylo. All of those guys do a really great job of discovery. So you now know what you've got, but what they can't do is tell you what you need. And that's mm. where we come in. So we take the what you've got information from those companies and now go back and say, here's what you actually need. Uh, and why couldn't you just do that yourself? Because again, as a company increases in size, say you've got 300 people and you've got I don't know, 500, 300, 400 software tools. There's nobody in that company that knows what all those tools do. I don't think there's anyone in that company that knows what 10% of the tools do. I bet if you actually think about it, if you the software platform we're using now, I bet on this call, I definitely don't know, I bet you guys don't know exactly how this tool works. You know the bits that you use, but you couldn't sell me on all the features of it because you don't know them. You don't need to know them. That's true of all the software. The people know the bits that they use, but they don't know the rest. Our system can comprehend them all and therefore can say, hey, look, did you know, for example, that Box acquired an e-signature tool back in March of last year? No, I didn't know that. Well, now you've got Box, you're already paying for it. It has e-signature. Do you also need Adobe Sign and um, DocuSign and X, Y, and Z? No, you don't. You just need one because you're only doing e-signature once. Uh, and that's the sort of stuff that, again, unless you're reading every single blog and reading every single list, no one's going to keep up to date with that stuff. And that's a silly example. There are much more comprehensive, fundamental examples. So we had a client that came to us and said, we need a new um, a tool for our compliance department. 
and they'd been looking for two years. They had spent 100,000 like external consultants. And we got them to an answer in two weeks. They were actually pissed off at us because we solved the problem so quickly that they couldn't solve for two weeks. And we just said, hey, guys, just spin up a new instance of Zendesk. That takes care of 90% of what you need to do. And you've already got Zendesk, which they hadn't even thought about because that was a marketing tool, not a compliance tool. And then you need this little point solution and you're done. That's the sort of stuff we can do. Plus, we don't have any affiliations with any vendors. And we're the only people that you can come across who don't have any affiliation with the vendors. So we don't care, except that you get the best solution. I can see from your beautiful wrapped faces that you are enthralled by this enthralled. idea. It's brilliant. No, you answered, you answered my next question. It is brilliant, it's people. It's, it's, it, it is brilliant. brilliant. It's brilliant. Or to avoid conflict of interest. How do you go about establishing that trust with with your clients and knowing Honestly, that. it's a nightmare. That's the thing. Because the problem is, if you're an innovator and you're doing something completely new and you're the, we're the only people in the world, we are the only people in the world that can do this. We're the only people in the world. And who's heard of ClearFind? No one. Um, and so it's a really interesting challenge. It's a, And I'd love any listener who can help with this. It's such an interesting challenge. How do you build brand credibility for something that no one else does? That is so special. So maybe maybe ClearFind with... can find an app for that. <laughs> we, can, we, could, we could maybe, but I think that's, it's a really interesting challenge. Isn't it? I think it's, it's a challenge that all startups face. How do you build credibility quickly? And how do you do that? So we are, we've got great backgrounds. We've got a great team and we've got some amazing clients. So some of the biggest banks in the world are now working with us. Some of the biggest technology companies in the world are now working with us. Some of the biggest publishers in the world are now working with us. So it's not that we aren't getting clients. We're getting some amazing clients. But it's taken a long time. Like one of the clients took eight months to close. If you're a startup and you're getting your clients taking eight months to close, you're like, oh, get out. This is a nightmare. But we're getting there. Uh, and I think it's a really interesting challenge. I honestly haven't got a clue what the answer is to that question. And I'd love to know the answer. How do you build credibility quickly? Because at the moment, it's taken eight months with these big clients. But by goodness, it's worth it from our side. Well, let's talk about some of that credibility wow. with these eight-month-long clients. What are some of the advantages that you've seen with ClearFind? So, I don't know. Let's talk numbers. You, their X number of you know, software utilization narrowed down to however many terms of dollars saved, where that money might have been invested otherwise, and things like that. Let's, let's talk about it. Absolutely. So, what's really cool is we, we had a client recently who we were working with. It's a big university based on the East Coast not far from Boston. Uh, and with those guys, be? who could it be? Uh, with those guys, um, we were able to identify that they were sitting on, they spend $50 million a year on software. It's quite a lot. Um, we can save them 20% on that. I mean, imagine your university and you can retain 20%, not for one year, for every year from now on, you're saving 20% of your annual budget. That's when you spend 50 million, that is a gigantic amount of cash to put back into your system. That's more professors, that's more whatever you want. So, or lowering tuition, hint, hint. Probably not gonna happen. And that's the sort of stuff. <laughs> no, it's more profit. That, that I think <laughs> makes this really exciting. We're working with, as I said, some of these amazing banks who have thousands of software tools. And not only are we able to help them become more efficient and deploy their budget better on the right tools and reduce the security risk of having so many tools, but also we found we found that we can help them stop wasting money on tools they don't need to buy. So with our system, you can simulate the purchase of something before you buy it and see if you actually need it. 
which is mm. so imagine if you say hey look i'm thinking about buying this new erp system um and then you basically put in the erp system you're looking to buy and it runs against all the tools you already have and says given what you think you need these tools already do this for you you don't need to spend the money on this new system uh, it, it it really is quite profound the things that we can do for our clients but it, it takes a really what i found by the way this is an interesting kim sexist fact women are much more likely to go out on a limb to buy something new like this and they're much more confident and comfortable buying a new product that is this sophisticated than guys guys seem to need a lot more reassurance so we found so far all of our clients our best clients are all women in fact every single of our sales has been sold to a female client it's not because i'm a gorgeous guy selling it to them because actually my partner's a woman uh, and so she's often doing the sales but it's really interesting that women feel way more open to new smart solutions than guys and i think that's i have an i actually have another theory tell me i think guys ego won't allow them to say oh shoot i bought i allowed all these purchases yes, now i'm gonna ego. look bad Completely. now i'm gonna look bad instead of just saying okay we didn't have this tool now i can get better at this that's right i gotta make sure i don't look bad so i 100%. can't do that yeah, it's I like it's a ridiculous mindset, right? In their skin and more comfortable <laughs> and in business because they, they don't care about the ego factor. You know, it might have something to yeah. do with ego might be one, but just <clears throat> women, generally speaking, being more responsible for more things, work-related and life-related, and just wanting, having that inherent need to simplify things. Yeah, I think, I think, there's, a, I think there's both factors, but yeah. I think it's really fascinating. I think what well, it's literally, uh, of our clients, nearly every single buyer is a female. And I think the most innovative buyers so far we found are all women, which is fabulous. I have, a, I have a question, just something that came to mind. Yes. Why wouldn't software companies OEM this into their product as a way to validate post-sale that the clients made a good choice or as a way to help the client identify these other ancillary softwares you have, you don't need them because these are the features and functionalities that can serve those needs. Because a lot of times software companies have adoption problems, right? They introduce new features and it's not getting adopted and people are using something else. So it's a disruption to make them do the change. But if they had a, a, a way, a vehicle to show, hey, you, we can do all these other three things that you're paying for right in the license you've already acquired. Would this be something that would help them gain broader adoption? Is have you thought yeah, about that as a that, possible use case? That could be a great innovation with this tool. Interestingly, Oracle reached out to us and they said, hey, look, we'd like to use you guys as a way of vetting potential customers. Because one of the things we can do is we can ask customers the features that they need in a tool before they buy the tool. So we can start of reverse engineering and say, hey, given these features, here's the right tool for you. And they say, well, what if we have people coming to us? Can we run them through your system? And if we don't come up as the answer, they would be a waste of our time trying to sell to them. And we thought, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. So it's a really, really, really smart, don't forget to put the Ws in there, uh, really, really, really smart way to, um, to, to look at sales. Because effectively, people who come through our system who are buying tools that we're recommending haven't got all the marketing noise and all the biases they potentially would get if you come through the channel. And also, we really understand what they are looking to do with the tool instead of just oh look the sort ad do you want it and that's the thing the entire industry g2 crowd even google is based on the idea that whoever gives them the most money is the best software which is not probably true our system's based on the best features 
is the best software. So it's a very, it's a radically refreshing, hopefully honest, straightforward, human, smart way to think about buying and selling software. Talking about the human software component or the human to software component, once your clients have used ClearFind and they come to that finalized list of this is what you should ask, this is what you should keep, how do you go about helping your clients with the adoption of that? Meaning Joe Schmo has been using X software for the past six years and he doesn't want to budge uh, or whatever. How, how, what does that look like? And do you have a <laughs> consulting component for that? Interestingly, um, whilst I was slightly berating Accenture, berated, um, we do work with some consulting partners um, because a lot of the time, especially the larger clients, are looking to have someone partner with them to help in that transition process because it's a sort of full-time job potentially. Some of these big movements in, from one system to another can be a, a massive piece of work in themselves. So we do have some very forward-thinking uh, consulting partners. Um, I mean, some of the biggest consulting firms in the world one of the top five, let's just say that, um, is a partner of ours. Uh, and they use our technology because they've seen the world is changing. Mm -hmm. Clients are looking for clarity and they know that lots of biases exist within the human methodology for doing this. And so they'd rather work with a partner, a consulting firm who has a technology like ours, there's no one else with that technology, um, and, <laughs> and work with us to do this, then pretend that they're not biased and pretend mm -hmm, that they can mm -hmm. do a better job than our machines can. Nice, lovely. Nice. And then my next question, you already talked about this, software up the wazoo, there's a new startup every second with huge funding rounds, by the way. How do you, I know. <laughs> how do you uh, at ClearFind keep track of all of these options? How do you keep that funnel fed? I mean, there's a few ways. So the first thing is, for us to normally have um, your software in our system, you have to be sort of beyond the seed stage. You have to have some clients because what we're really trying to do is help businesses that are, again, know, turning over quite a lot of money to bring in scalable solutions. Uh, and so if you're a startup and you haven't really got any clients and you don't know if it's going to work or not, um, we can't really vet your tool to put it into a, a large bank. It wouldn't make any sense. Um, but um we we our tool is able to continuously look for software we have vendors that reach out to us as well to alert us to the fact that they exist in the market and that happens again especially startups and smaller companies do that um but really the way we do this is to have a continuous process of looking for tools and researching the tools and again in a way that a human just could not do our systems are 24 7 365 doing this job every day of the week amazing yeah. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit, talk about sure. the, the company culture. You know, a lot of our audience members are people that could potentially become employees of your company. Yeah. You said something interesting earlier that stuck with me. You said, who's in charge of uh, ClearFind? And you were like, nobody. Tell, tell us what you meant by that. What's the culture like in the organization? Uh, what's the day in the, like, in the life of someone working there? for those who might be interested in potentially joining you guys. Great, so so we have uh, no office base. That's probably very common these days. Look at yourselves, not in an office. So that's probably quite normal now. Um, but we went remote actually before the pandemic started. Uh, so we went remote before then. So we've got into this idea very quickly. Um, and so to keep the team coherent, 
and together there's obviously meetings and cadences around that but there are a few sort of principles that we wanted to put in place um so the first thing was basically not to hold on to ideas too tightly uh so we really don't we in, culturally we want people to be able to have a brilliant idea or a good idea but not be so wedded to it that if someone suggested a change to it they can't change uh, and you find that oftentimes in sales, especially if someone's really got a pattern that they want to sell you and they don't really give a shit what you're saying back to them. They're not listening. They're just telling you what they're selling and, and, and they're not hearing and adapting. So we're saying don't hold on to your ideas too tightly. Be able to adapt and change. Um, the other one is about listening. So, again, like people think of listening, especially in sort of um, workshops that you might go to about active listening and note taking all this bullshit. We think of listening as being about being present. So while you're listening to this right now, I bet you you're typing on your computer, pissing around on your phone, making a cup of tea, probably a coffee if you're in America. You're not actually listening to what I'm saying. You think you are because the words are happening and you can hear the words, but you're not really listening. And when you're really listening to someone, you're not thinking about what am I going to say next. You're not thinking about what's going in the room. You're not thinking about anything else. You're listening. And when you do that, you hear someone not for the words they're saying, but for the words they're meaning. We all find linguistics challenging. We find communication challenging. We find texting challenging. We don't realize that we do. And that's why people misunderstand each other. But if you're really listening to someone, you'll hear things beyond the words. And so in a remote culture, it's really important that you do that. And most people don't realize that. And that's why things like, and you can't do that on Slack. You can't do that on Teams, you can only do that really when you, you're talking to someone and, and listening to them. So we do that. So don't hold on to ideas too tightly. Um, listening, actively listening in a really coherent way. And we've got one other one, which is escaping at the moment. But if you give me two seconds, I'm going to find it for you because definitely, here we are. One second. I'm just looking it up. So one second. Where the freaking hell is it? On the back. <laughs> Don't worry. No, no, here. Quickly, eggplant. Clarity of mind. Plant. Disgusting. Ironic. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Clarity. <laughs> but yeah, that's our culture. But I'm listening. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Clarity of mind. Yeah. Okay, but what if you said something? No one's in parents. charge. Is are you guys more open, uh, less hierarchical? What's well, the I mean, thought process? We have there? a very flat structure, um, okay. and because we have this idea of not holding on to ideas too like uh, too tightly, um, it, it's reasonable that that innovation can come from any part of the company. It's reasonable that um, new ideas and directions can come from any part of the company. I mean, we have someone whose role is my co-founder who's basically got the role of like running many departments in the company so technically she is in charge and she is someone's boss but we've had situations in very recently where one of the sort of more junior members of the research team has changed the way that we do our research process and that's reversed right through to the top of how we do it and we just sort of thought wow that person joseph is his name had a great idea really smart turned our process ahead and his boss and his boss just went with it because it's the smart thing to do and so whilst yes we have a level of reporting structure we we have a a, a culture which is sufficiently open to innovation and listening that we can bring innovation from all different parts of the business mm -hmm. 
I can't help but notice how your company culture directly parallels the product itself. What it is that you're hoping to bring to your clients. What can I say? Is it a coincidence? Somebody used some design thinking to come up with that one. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, James, we're up on time. Uh, wow. We have one, one more question to ask. Yes, I know it's, it Tell always me. goes by fast. Uh, in your journey building this, uh, yeah. you're both a, an investor and an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, did you learn more as an entrepreneur about the challenges? Has that changed your stance as an investor and vice versa? What? How has this served your your personal growth to be in both sort of camps? I think it's a really interesting place to be. I think it's like if you've ever seen, which I'm sure you have, the Matrix films. Um, if you think the, Ma- the first Matrix film with its constraints was the best film, controversial opinion. When you have less constraints, it's more challenging. So being an investor in your own business has amazing benefits, but also has some downsides, which is basically, especially if you're able to, you can basically enable things to happen that maybe aren't the smartest thing to do. So I think there is a beautiful rigor in having other investors. Um, I think that's one of my learnings because it's basically, it's very easy for me to say yes to myself. Uh, and I think I think there's a benefit to having a critical investor eye on things. And it's sometimes hard to associate those two things. But the other thing is also we've been able to pursue things with passion and rigor that perhaps having to spend ages convincing some other person that we should be doing this thing might not have led to as good a result. So we're now in a position where the only people in the world that can do this unique thing with some of the biggest clients in the world, we ain't doing bad. But I wonder if we could have got here maybe quicker if we had some other person at the table who told me, no, James, you're not allowed to do that. You're naughty boy. Which we focus, didn't. focus, focus. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great to have you with us. Thanks for uh, uh, sharing your story with us. And we're very excited for you. We'll have to keep tabs on the yes. progress you're making. It's Thank a you. very exciting uh, uh, solution you've got in the marketplace. Come uh, stay see with us. At, yes. yes, we will make sure. It, it, just it visit the so landing page. Yes, visit the landing page. All your information will be on there, dojo.live, and we'll have your interview on there. Stay with us as we go off the air in just a second. Uh, we will not have a live show tomorrow. We have our whole No, 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 we do tomorrow. tomorrow? To, What's tomorrow? You're ahead of Wednesday yourself. or Thursday? Clarity of mind, Tulio. Clarity of mind. Tomorrow, tomorrow Wednesday, is Wednesday. Sorry. <laughs> we do. Kim, what are we <laughs> what have we got coming up tomorrow? Yeah, but I did tell a fib. I, I did tell time. on the recap yesterday, I said we did have a show on Thursday. Thursday, we do not have a show. It's the restream because we have our monthly all hands here. But tomorrow, we do have a show. And we're going to be speaking with Gary York, who is the founder and chairman of Help Lightning. We lost Kim. All right. Why does this always happen? At least it ends up till the end. So come back tomorrow, 12 o'clock Pacific. We'll see you at 12 o'clock for another show. Be well and uh, have fun, everybody. Bye. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.